0: everyone and welcome to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is your host, as always, Ryan Embry. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Today, we have another episode of our exciting series, TMG Hospitality Trailblazers. If you're just joining us for the first time, we are absolutely loving this series. We are bringing the brightest and best in our industry. Those people and groups that are pushing our industry forward into 2023 and beyond. We've got a great guest with me today. Uh, Before I introduce him, as always, you can always find our episodes anywhere you're finding our podcast, but also on YouTube, so check that out. And let's go ahead and get rolling with the episode. So I will introduce our TMG Hospitality Trailblazer of the day, that is Patrick Palke, Chief Commercial Officer at Sage Hospitality. Patrick, welcome into the sweet spot.
1: Hello. I'm super delighted to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we're excited to have you. You're the guest of honor today. So let's go ahead and open it up with a question for all of our first timers on The Sweet Spot. We know we work in an industry where people can come from anywhere and they have some, sometimes some strange journeys in order to get to where they are today. So tell us a little bit about your journey to Sage Hospitality Group. Was it more the traditional way of maybe starting at the front desk and working up or completely out of left field? Because we've heard those stories on this series as well.
1: Yeah, no, mine is a long one, I would say. So first of all, well, as you can hear from my pungent accent, I'm from Germany originally. And um, I, had, I had the opportunity of living in different countries as a child with my parents. And um, at one point when I was six years old, we, stayed, we lived in a hotel for, for three months. And that hotel was my playground. And the general manager of that hotel was like a god for me. It was in Jakarta and it was the Hilton International in 1981. I still remember very well. And I said to my parents, I want to be that guy one day. Mr. Schutzendorf was his name, and yeah, just kind of stuck to my childhood dream. You know, did an apprenticeship, entered the industry in Germany in the mid '90s. uh, Worked in different places in Europe. Um, At one point, I studied uh, in Lausanne in Switzerland, hotel management. Then uh, ventured out to Asia. Stayed in Asia for sixteen years. Worked all over the place, mostly in the in the five star field with Hyatt International. Worked with Mandarin Oriental as well, and then. In 2015, I ventured into the lifestyle space, you know, coming from the bigger brands, moving to a smaller company, commune hotels at that time, they don't exist anymore. They became two roads after a while, and then two roads got acquired by Hyatt. Yeah. And and once you make that move to the independent lifestyle space, you know, and and you realize, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit that that they have, you know, from having a great idea to implementation when there's not much red tape in between once you get used to that it's pretty addictive you know so since then i've never looked back kind of stayed in the lifestyle space Uh, moved to the united states four years ago to join a company called proper hospitality very innovative in the luxury lifestyle space helped to build up that brand and um, joined sage one and a half years ago uh, in summer 2021 to basically rebuild their commercial team from scratch and you know build it out in a way that is in
0: line with the company's
1: growth, which is really to focus in on the lifestyle space as well.
0: Well, your story certainly hits a lot of marks when it comes to hospitality. First, a global story, right? You know, we always hear about that about our industry. And two, you know, you lived the hospitality life, right? So you know, sometimes we hear that in our industry of, you know, it's just not a, li- or a lifestyle or a job, you have to actually live it. So hearing somebody's story that actually is living in a hotel for a little bit of time, like I said, you, ch- you checked off all the marks. So that's a very interesting story. Now, I do want to kind of talk about this last couple of years. I mean, this is another question we We've done almost a dozen of these and I get a very different answer each time I ask it. But everyone was kind of experiencing the same thing over the past couple of years. So, you know, what lessons do you think the hospitality industry in general learned and were any of those lessons applied to your role now at Sage Hospitality Group?
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of us hoteliers can write a book about the last three years, right? And everything that has changed and what we've learned. But I would say if I was to sort of synthesize it down, the number one thing we've all learned is that maybe it was something we already knew, but we honed in on it more, is that flexibility and the willingness to innovate is essential to navigating difficult business environments. Our company has always been willing to do things differently. But any sense of rigidity or needing to cling to how things were done in the past really had to go out of the window in 2020, obviously not just with Sage, but with 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 other hospitality companies as well. And I think that we will always have to remain open to doing things differently and looking uh, for new ways to solve ever-evolving challenges that we face in our industry. An example of, you know, flexibility as well, if we look at it from a people and culture or HR perspective is, you know, us having implemented uh, hybrid work models um, for all home office employees we have been uh, experimenting with this as well across our properties just to implement more flexibility i think also you know not making all people move to headquarters is also a thing that a lot of hotel management companies have learned you know the team that i have built over the last one and a half years is really is a total hybrid Half of them are based in Denver and the other half is all over the country. And I think it's totally fine, you know, to work in this environment. You know, you just have to make sure that once in a while you bring everyone together in person to make sure that we, uh, that we have an opportunity to form proper relationships, you know, that you cannot, uh, that you cannot establish via Zoom.
0: Yeah. And I think you stumbled on a topic we're going to be covering here in a minute, talking about group and business travel in those, you know, getting everybody together in a certain location. It's kind of how that business travel is evolving. And and like I said, we'll Mm -hmm. touch on that later. But you mentioned in your journey about how exciting it can be when that red tape is removed. And that red tape wasn't over the past couple of years wasn't removed because, you know, we wanted to as an industry, it kind of had to at a necessity. And it made us move on a lot of stuff a lot quicker. than maybe we felt comfortable as an industry doing, but it certainly has opened our eyes to a lot of stuff. You know, one of the things we talk about all the time is guest preferences when it comes to cleaning the room. You know, we didn't realize, I don't think there'd ever be a situation where we kind of remove that from the guest experience of, hey, you know, we might not come into your room every single day. You might have some brands try to trial that, but no one's gonna make that pivot so quickly. We had to do that during the pandemic and we learned some lessons from it. So super, super interesting to kind of hear those lessons and how they're applied. And, you know, one of the things that that we also had to adapt to and our guests had to adapt to is technology right? So I think the best analogy or parallel is, is you know, when we go into the airports, and we see, you know, maybe most of the majority of the people using those apps and, and electronic boarding passes, but you still have those people that are holding the paper tickets. And I think that's a great correlation to the hotel industry, because obviously, more people are adapting the, the wireless check in or the keyless check in rather, you know, some people still like coming to the front desk and having that conversation. So how do you balance that technology with, you know, the foundation of our industry, which is people serving people. Yeah. I mean, you, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's, it's exactly
1: all about that balance, right? I mean, we, of course, never want to lose the humanity aspect, right? In the hospitality experience. But we also want to make sure that the guest is getting convenience and, and, a, and a more seamless experience that they desire more and more, right? I'm not saying it's just a generational shift that wants a more tech forward approach, you know, but it's just people, all, all kinds of travelers, all demographics, they like to have options, right? So um, in the past, I would say those check-in kiosks, you know, you would never see them at true luxury hotels. But now we're really contemplating to have optionality for check-in also at at, at more elevated properties, you know, because that, that desire is just there. Another example is our property Catbird, which is our a boutique extended stay brand that we have recently launched here in Denver and that we will be rolling out across the country they have a great example of how we're approaching this the hotel has a lot of tech forward amenities and integrations including a self-guided check-in process via kiosks that we have in the lobby so a guest who does not want to interact with staff doesn't have to however staff is always available as well in the lobby to connect with guests making it a much more um, informal interaction and creating a sense of home for our guests and then I think um, the same also applies for just guest communication in general, right? Some guests really prefer to have a chat option, right? Where you get a text message on your phone um, during pre-arrival, also during arrival, where sort of a, a chat concierge, you know, tells the guest, you know, whatever you need done, if you need restaurant recommendations, if you need to find something in the hotel, if you want to request turndown service, just... Text us, you know, and then there's other guests who prefer to speak to guest service agents. So I I really think it's about having that balance and about having optionalities for guests.
0: Yeah, you bring up a couple interesting points. One of the things that we are so quick to be able to say, well, this is a young generation thing. Let's go ahead and target the, that younger traveler when it comes to technology. But looking at a way of segments as well, right? The luxury segment, which usually we are trying to obviously cater as much as we can to those guests, because they're paying a little bit more than other properties. But we want that that kind of white glove service, but at the same time, they might have that experience of, I just want to get to my room and check in, and that's their white glove experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, your, your business traveler in luxury uh, hotels is a, is a great example, right? Your, your, your five-star hotel road warrior, they also exist, you know? Your CEOs, they don't want to chit-chat upon check-in. They just want to get there, get their key, and get up to the room, you know? So just
0: having that optionality. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things we talk about on this digital marketing podcast, when we're talking about social media is always listening on your social media platforms because you're right, Patrick, this is a way that guests are communicating with you. And they almost take that chat and behind their phone. If you haven't answered to them in, you know, a couple seconds, that's almost as bad to them as someone not being at the front desk or th- that's what they're equating that to So you need to make sure you're listening on all four because they might feel more comfortable chatting you behind their phone than they would actually coming to the front desk. And we're learning more and more that guests are feeling that sentiment. So we talked a little bit about it, the business travel trends, right? So what does that look like this year for you? And has Sage Hospitality have made a shift in how you're, you're trying to target these business and group travelers, which is really kind of still been sluggish in comparison to leisure travel?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say last year was really the year for business travel to ramp back up. You know, it was it was a slow ramp, but it happened. And I'm very pleased to say that now we are already at a point, you know, where we can see Business travel levels almost back to 2019, and to be honest, I get I'm getting a little bit tired of always comparing to 2019. I would like 2022 to be our new benchmark, right? But you know, one, one cannot help but still looking at the <laughs> at the pre-COVID past. Um, so. It's it's back, but it is slightly different. So the first thing that we've observed was that your average length of stay across the board for business travelers has actually increased, which is uh, which is great for us. You know, I mean, hotels are always striving to have a longer length of stay for. For for transient guests. And um, I think we can attribute this to leisure travel, you know. It's just there's just more and more extensions that we see for business travelers who will stay on for the weekend, or business travelers who would normally have their Friday as a work from home day, and then they, they choose to work from the pool or work from the lobby of the hotel. You know, especially when you're operating a lot of lifestyle or boutique properties that have a natural attraction to the leisure traveler. I can see how that how that really attracts business travelers, you know, to just extend a bit. So, so that that's one observation. Another one is that targeting business travelers, I think already for last year and the year before, when we saw the first signs of BT coming back a little bit, the approach of our sales teams is still a lot more localized rather than centralized, you know, because a lot of the big global accounts that might still have restrictions in place, they're little bit more relaxed on a local level with allowing travel. And a lot of small to medium-sized companies as well, you know, have shown to be more flexible already at the onset of business travel coming back. So I can still see a much bigger focus on those small to medium-sized accounts ever than as compared to before. Unfortunately, the, the tech industry has been uh, has been hit a little bit recently, as we all read in the press, right? That naturally has some impact on travel as well but I I see that as more an isolated industry we're seeing a lot of increased travel in all other industries and also in talking to our partners you know who have a lot of interesting data you know like the Expedias of this world we've learned from them that travel budgets have actually been increased across the board. And I think it was 70-something percent of all respondents that were asked were actually expected by their employer to travel the same amount or more than in 2019. You know, so having news like that is obviously very encouraging, you know, and especially for a company like us that has mostly urban properties, you know, that's obviously our bread and butter, you know, so we want to make sure that we nurture this. Uh, this segment as much as we can, you know, now that, that business travel has come back
0: i'm sure you got a lot of listeners got their ears perked up with that that stat that you're sharing there and, and you make a couple of really great observations you know one even you mentioned at the beginning looking in your own backyard for for that that business or group travel because guess what even though their headquarters are here that doesn't mean all of their employees are here right and that is becoming more and more common with this work from home so just because a a company is in your backyard does not mean that they do not need that space to meet or bring in their employees So maybe those director of sales that are listening to this, it's a good time to start calling on those and asking what that work environment looks like for them if they're bringing anybody in. And the second point you make is that extended stay for business travel and that leisure travel. And you are right on. And for those that are listening to this, again, in sales and marketing, well, Ryan, listen, we're getting some leisure travel, but we cater mostly to business travel. Well, guess what? We also have to put in our marketing strategy, specifically social maybe online reputation, we have to cater to those leisure travel because those business people might be bringing their families, might be bringing their kids. So those amenities that you have at your property, you know, of course, we want to show conference center The business center, talk about the Wi-Fi that caters to that business travel, but we also want to mix in that marketing strategy, that social strategy, some of the amenities that might cater to that leisure side of things, because who knows that business traveler could be bringing their family for that little extended leisure trip, as we talked about. Absolutely. And then you also asked about groups. Sorry, I haven't, I haven't answered the second part of
1: your question yet. So for groups, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's been a similar ramp. It came back a little bit before business travel already. I found that, you know, earlier at, at the end of 21, but mostly small to medium sized events at first, but now we can also see larger conferences finally coming back. I would say um, some cities have brought back a lot of their bigger citywide events because they have done a very good job of closely tying, you know, safety of the city, how do I promote that and infrastructure and all of that together. And that obviously helps hotels immensely to have citywide events back, right? And then for other cities, it hasn't been a little bit more challenging, you know, where security and, and safety is still an issue. You know, that's something that larger conference organizers are always sort of a little bit more scared about. So it's, it's not the same in every market, I'm trying to say, with the big citywide. But good news to share is we actually just got some stats earlier this week from our BI team. And um, we have actually seen the number of group inquiries and confirmed group revenue surpassed 2019 for this year, year to date. So that's very encouraging to see
0: absolutely and we love to hear that like i said you know i've said on this podcast before we we did this podcast through the pandemic and we had to dig for that good news and now it seems like we're seeing more and more of these stats kind of pop up so absolutely love to hear that and and you're right you know we always talk about revenge travel that's kind of been the hot subject but i would almost coin the term you know revenge events these local cities and economies they want these events back in their area the the local businesses the hotels, they want these events back and people are willing to travel to them. They've been missing out on these annual events that that maybe disappeared over the last couple of years as they start to roll back in. Huge, huge marketing opportunity to really lean into that and provide your, your travelers with the right channels to book directly with you so you're not paying those commissions. So um, we'll stay in the news a little bit. I've recently seen, and this has kind of been a trend, a little bit of backlash with one of the industry's biggest disruptors Airbnb. You know, there was certainly a bunch of articles written on expensive fees, safety issues. Uh, There's been a lot of uh, jokes about, you know, what hosts are requiring guests to do before checkout, which has kind of become a punchline. And more and more people are kind of appreciating they're coming back and and appreciating what hotels have to offer because they're not running into any of those issues. So how do you feel like our industry can really capitalize and continue on this growing trend and sentiment out there from travelers?
1: Honestly, I think we just need to keep on doing what we've, what we have done for a long time, provide excellent service, uh, provide really good amenities and most, mostly the, great guest experiences, you know, which, A, make our guests feel comfortable being in a hotel environment and also inspire them at the same time. These are things, you know, again, I'm speaking from a lifestyle lens, you know, where our properties have great activations and things happening, you know, that, again, we want to inspire our guests. We want them to learn something while they're staying with us, you know. So that's kind of something that's I would say still pretty unique to staying in a in a hotel. Yeah. Um, and then with a hotel, you can also look at the website social media etc and and you know exactly what you can expect when you book right you know that there will be housekeeping services you know that you will have staff to help you throughout the stay and and so forth you know i think more and more guests are really realizing that part of the fun of travel is having access to those amenities and in services. So for example, again, back to our independent properties, we have gear for borrow programs, you know, that help guests experience the destination, like at Pierside in Santa Monica, which we just recently opened. The board shop offers surfboards and other things that are perfect for guests in a beach destination. Then here at Catbird in Denver, we have a playroom that offers similar items, but also things like small appliances that long-term guests might want to utilize, you know, for their, for their room to feel a little. bit more like home and then great food and beverage offerings as well within the same space, right? I mean the involvement of the hotel restaurant is not what it was 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago nobody wanted to go to a hotel restaurant, right? Now hotels are partnering up with really cool FMB partners to sort of elevate the experience. And in many many cities now that you visit, the coolest restaurants are part of lifestyle hotels, you know. So that's just something that you don't have when you're staying in a house. And then For others who seek more privacy and homey feel they might still stick to staying at Airbnbs or Saunders or other providers. I honestly strongly feel that there is enough room in the industry for both models to coexist.
0: And what you said, I mean, obviously, Airbnb and Sonder and all of those other companies really have embraced that technology that we talked about earlier, but it's that customer service that we talked about at the very end, that customer touch. You mentioned it before, Patrick, you guys have kiosks, but you also have people, real people there in case for any assistance. And that's something that just Airbnb, you know, you have a chat and everything like that, and you can communicate with your hosts, but there's that missing piece there. And and I love what you said about setting expectations. We talk about it all the time. I'm sure my Listeners are very tired of me here. The better you can do at setting your expectations, those things that make your 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 hotel experience unique, the more comfortable your guests are going to feel when they come on property. And actually getting involved in that whole experience. You know, there's a reason that you've put those bikes in place, as you said, uh, out in Santa Monica. It's You want your guests to experience the entirety of the experience, right? Not just a room and four walls. So the more that you can kind of market that property online. And and what the experience you're selling. I think the better advantage that you're going to have over those Airbnbs and just that house or room that you're sharing with someone else there. So, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about uh Sage Hospitality and and you know, one of the things that none of the TMG Trailblazers that we had on this have been stranger to has been the the shortage in staffing that the industry has battled these past couple of years. You know, as I was doing, you know, I was looking through Sage Hospitality, I kept seeing and hearing this phrase of enriching Lives, uh, one experience at the time. Speak a little bit more about what that means to you, Patrick, and the importance of culture at Sage Hospitality Group
1: you're mentioning our our mission there and it's really it's really something that is at the center of everything for us at sage because our mission is our why right enriching lives one experience at a time every business decision that we make is really made through that lens of our why when we talk about that we don't mean just our guests obviously it's very important to sage and our leaders that this concept starts with enriching the lives of our associates that really comes first right when your associates are happy and they feel well taken care of and considered, we know that this translates into our associates taking care of our guests and enriching their lives. So when you, when you boil it down, our product is the guest experience, right? And so much of that experience is fundamentally built upon the interactions that guests have with our associates. Um, happy, again, happy associates mean happy guests and ultimately positive business outcomes. The media is also rife with stories right now about, you know, the great resignation and quiet quitting and the through line, you know, uh, in all these stories that we see is when employees don't feel supported and when they don't feel engaged they leave or stop caring about what they do. And I think that understandably hurts the business, right? People need to feel that their job is meaningful and that it contributes to the greater mission of the company. Again, this is a finding that I find, you know, we often said that is specific to um, Gen Z, right? Whatever you do needs to be meaningful. You need to understand why am I doing something and not just follow. But I think it goes way beyond just Gen Z. It's just In general, anyone who works in any job, you know, I think should know how meaningful that job is and how it contributes to the greater mission of the company also I recently read an article in in Harvard Business Journal that was about employees rather than customers or shareholders are the most important stakeholders in your organization right they are after all where the work actually happens yeah and that just requires that every employee is seen as a as a full human being and not just a cog in the machine right I mean Richard Branson made that statement a long time ago as well that at his company at at virgin it's not the guest who comes first it must always always be the employee for exactly the same reason.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's going to be those groups that really have a strong culture and strong mission of, of who they are and and their why, like you're talking about, Patrick, that are going to be able to keep those happy hospitality associates, which we know play such an important role in the guest experience. So, you know, really, really excited to hear kind of about the things that you're doing over there at Sage Hospitality when it comes to recruitment and using and leveraging that that culture there. So, as you know, this is a, a digital marketing podcast at Travel Media. Group We help hotels with their online reputation through review response and social media presence. I know your role as chief commercial officer has some overlap in the social media and PR space. So how do you feel like social strategy has changed and evolved over hotels for the past couple of years? And what advice would you share to some of our listeners today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, if, if we just go a couple of years back, you know, social media used to be seen as a secondary or even a tertiary source of information for travelers as they would research a stay. You know, even when it was a primary resource, most hotel companies have still seen it as a secondary or tertiary. So, you know, as as with many other technologies, it always takes a few years for our industry to wake up. You know, CRM is another area that I'm passionate about. About where I think we were a couple of decades behind the curve. But back to social media, younger generations, I mean, use social media as their primary search engine as well now, right? So the stats say that nearly half of Gen Z uses Instagram and TikTok to search instead of Google, right? We have to acknowledge this, right? So being visible and, and having great content, you know, and, and again, giving a, a good reflection of what the experience there is like is so vital. Important for our properties, you know, and and having a strong social media presence and being very discoverable is is just super essential. At Sage, we went from in the old days purely using it as a as a brand building and awareness tool. It's become an important distribution channel now that drives revenues, you know, way beyond just building awareness. And um, yeah, one of the first teams that I implemented when I came on board was. To make sure that we have a strong social media support team here on a corporate level that you know helps to educate our properties, how to drive better content, reposting, you know, who should be in charge of creating content, how to manage agencies better, you know, and directors of sales and marketing nowadays, right? Most of them they come from a sales background, and we encourage them to be open and to learn about all these new channels. And social media is a is a very important one, right? So having the resources to train our property teams to better leverage that channel is super important.
0: Well, and it, it's certainly a new skill. Social media, things change at a lightning fast pace. I do consultations with them and they'll be, we'll talk about social media. And the first thing they show is their Facebook that they just created. And I said, this is a great first start, but we got to talk about Instagram, right? LinkedIn, how are you getting driving your group business? Why isn't your hotel on LinkedIn? You know, TikTok now is huge. So it, it's more than just Facebook out there if you're listening to this, right? Obviously, Facebook, very very important it still is but there are so many more eyes and so many different places and the best part about social media is it's free to be on there but you have to be consistent when you're posting you have to have a strategy in place because that's the mistake that we run into a lot with our hoteliers is it's very exciting off the off the jump to create that account but you've got to stay posting you've got to have a content strategy ready to go there so let's talk about sage hospitality group in the news recently so 18 sage hotels were on the 2023 best hotel rankings list recognized by us news and World report congratulations to you and your team patrick tell us a little bit about what that accomplishment means Thank you. I would say first and foremost, when we receive
1: awards like this, they're always a reflection of the um, extraordinary work that is being done by our colleagues at the properties, obviously. Without the work that they do to drive guest satisfaction and great ex- guest experiences, these awards wouldn't happen. And we're, of course, super thrilled, you know, when, when one hotel wins an award. But to have so many properties included says to us as well that we must be doing something right. You know and and it says to us that people are taking notice of of the way that we're operating our hotels differently and and creating meaningful experiences to our guests and and it's the same you know for for a lot of other awards you know the recent travel and leisure and condé Nast awards you know we've seen more more properties included than than ever before you know so it just it shows us the trend where we're trying to bring sage as more
0: of a lifestyle operator it's working that's great to hear, Pat. And I'll, I'll do the patting on your back for you then because that's that's a really great accomplishment. And maybe next time we have you on the podcast, well, hopefully we're talking about some more hotels on that list. So speaking of kind of Sage Hospitality in the future, you know, this is the TMG Hospitality Trailblazers series, right? We're talking about industry experts and groups that are pushing us toward the future. So I'd like to leave this last question of just, you know, wh- what would you say is next for Sage Hospitality as we look to the future? What would you like to see the portfolio accomplish in 2023 and be on.
1: Yeah, as I, as I just mentioned already, our key focus is really a very strong growth in the lifestyle segment. And that just doesn't only mean for our independent properties, right? Our, our 60 properties are, are subdivided into our independent collection, which will um, soon hit 20 hotels. And then we have our branded hotels as well. But really talking about lifestyle that could be independent, it could be limited service, it could be hard branded, it could be soft branded. It's really for us a focused growth versus an opportunistic growth at any cost you know a lot of hotel management companies they just sign up whatever they can right to rake in the management fees you know and that is not the approach that sage is taking you know we are a privately owned company and we will remain private so that we can sustain a focused growth and again we're saying when a lot of the other management companies are trying to be everything for everyone we're really gonna zoom in only on on the lifestyle space and ultimately Sage, we want Sage to become the nation's preferred lifestyle hospitality management company. And we've really built our operations and commercial teams accordingly over the last two years, you know, with experts that come exactly from this area of hospitality from the lifestyle
0: space. Well, definitely have to keep a close eye on, on you, Patrick, your team and, and everybody over there at Sage Hospitality Group. So, you know, we covered a lot on today's episode, any final thoughts? No, I have to say I really enjoyed spending time with you and uh, hope that I could contribute
1: something meaningful to your listeners. We need more of these conversations as well to share best practices throughout our industry, I believe. So what you're doing is great. And yeah, I hope that my my German accent was not too distracting. I know that I sound like the bad guy in a Bond movie. so.
0: Uh, I love that, Patrick. And, you know, thank you for joining me on this series. You know, this was was really exciting. And, you know, obviously, for any further information about Sage Hospitality Group and all the exciting things you're doing for our listeners, obviously, best place to find you is on on probably your website and LinkedIn, right, Patrick?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining the sweet spot. We, We certainly will have to have you back. And thank you, everyone for listening today. We will talk to you next time on the sweet spot. To join our loyalty program, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star reading on iTunes. Sweet Spot is produced by Travel Media Group. Our editor is Brandon Bell with cover art by Barry Gordon. I'm your host, Ryan Embry, and we hope you enjoyed your stay.